It's often said that NFTs that were minted in 2021 or before that will have historical value. This technology is in its infancy despite going through a boom and this recent bust cycle. However, NFTs are just getting started. Today, we're gonna discuss 10 of the most common myths about historical NFTs. Hello, I'm Taj, digitally known as Tropic Vibes, the host of Nifty Business, where we highlight NFTs and explore Web 3.0 as we move from pure speculation to creating real-world value. So in this quest for the holy grail of historical NFTs, it is often said that CryptoPunks have such high value because they were the first NFT, and that is entirely wrong. CryptoPunks were not the first NFT. They were not even the first NFT on Ethereum. They were not the first PFP project, not even the 10K projects. However, if you really do the research and track down these CryptoPunks and see why they got so valuable, it's because people with a lot of money saw the value in them, bought a whole bunch of them, and essentially gave them its value. So yes, 2017 seems like an ancient project. However, there were many before it. Which brings us to number two. Did you know that there are two versions of the CryptoPunks? The CryptoPunks that we currently see today, the ones that are selling for record prices, the one that everyone was comparing with the Basie collection, that is actually version two. The version one punks were also 10,000. However, within the contract, there was an error. And without going into all the technical details, V1 was abandoned and the contract for V2 was created. However, the blockchain doesn't lie and that record is immutable, meaning that it cannot change. It is not going anywhere. So yes, on the Ethereum blockchain, they are two official versions of the CryptoPunks that were created by Larva Labs. And when this was discovered, there was a huge debate whether or not this was a counterfeit. However, everything is dated on the blockchain and all the evidence is there that the CryptoPunks that we hold in high esteem are not even the first CryptoPunks. Number three is the actual date of the first NFT. Now, depending what standards or what you're going to actually use to classify what an NFT is, which blockchain it has to be on, all the properties, there's so many factors that can determine when the first NFT was created. And if you do some research, it's going to be pretty hard to track down the very first one. You can find information about a project from 2014 called Quantum, 2015, a project called Etheria, which was the first one on Ethereum. Or in 2017, the standard of the ERC-21, which is a very popular standard, which was for the longest period of time, all of the NFTs that were coming onto Ethereum were of that standard. And I'm not going into all the technical details. Pretty much it is way over my pay grade anyways to fully explain what that means. And for the general public, whether you're collecting NFTs or you're trying to launch a business, unless you are the developer, you don't really need to know that. But just knowing that the ERC-21 token came out in 2017, and multiple tokens of different standards came out after that, it opens up all the debates as to what exactly are we tracking. And I like to think of that quote from Talladega Nights when Ricky Bobby's dad says, well, if you're not first, you're last. And well, first in what category? So that is a debate in itself. But a lot of people try to skirt around that or depending what their favorite blockchain or standard is, they might come up with different answers. But just know that when you're tracking down the history of NFTs and all these different standards and everything, it is very hard to draw a line. Number four, we're gonna go to Beevil sales of 5,000 days. That made all the headlines really through NFTs into the mainstream media. And that was, of course, at the time, 69 million US dollars worth of ETH was generated from selling that NFT. 
So that is sort of a mark in time saying that, yes, that is when the bull market officially started. However, there were big sales around that time. And in fact, that is not the most expensive NFT ever sold. It is number two. However, even that is up for debate. So again, it depends who you're asking to draw a line with what statistic to figure out where you set that record. But the one thing that we can pretty much all agree on is that the bear market officially started in the spring of 2022 because the peak NFT sales volume prices, the height of the number of wallets, all of that stuff really took place in the month of January 2022. So that is why most of us agree on placing some sort of emphasis on NFTs from 2021 and before that. However, there is no centralized bureau of historical NFTs or anything of that nature. This is really up in the air and is up to the communities and the collectors. And if you talk to 10 different people that are in this space, especially content creators, you're probably going to get 10 different answers as to where we're going to draw the line for this stuff. VHSs predate DVDs and DVDs predate Blu-ray discs. And nowadays, most people are streaming their movies anyway. But would you say that the value of your favorite movie on VHS is more valuable than the one on DVD or Blu-ray? Most people would say it doesn't matter if it's not streaming. Their devices don't even have a way to put in a tape or a disc. Therefore, they're not valuable to them at all. So just because something is older does not necessarily mean it has more value. The same thing applies pretty much for everything. Cars, houses, sneakers, books, really, really anything that people even collect. Age alone is not value. Number six, creators and sellers are creating demand with whatever story they're telling. However, buyers are the ones that really determine the value. A lot of people are leaving that out. So all those things that I've covered to this point, most times I get to the point of saying that, well, it all depends on the person, however they're valuing this and so forth. That is because something is only worth as much as someone is willing to pay for it. And using a common illustration, let's say a house, which is technically a non-fungible token. It is not on the blockchain, but it is something that is unique, cannot be copied, duplicated, because once someone has a specific house in a specific location, well, that is the only one that is on the planet or in existence. So that house is only worth what someone is willing to pay for it. And let's just say the realtor, all the comps, says that house is worth $250,000. However, there is someone who is a mega billionaire but grew up in that house. They're willing to pay 10x whatever market value it is just for the memories, the nostalgia, whatever it might be. Guess what? That is what that house is worth. So being able to say these things are valuable because they're old or they're valuable because these creators or these marketers are telling a great story might not necessarily be true if there's no one willing to pay X dollars for it. So keep that in mind. Number seven, I'm going to say Basie is an anomaly. And when I say it is an anomaly, because we are often speaking and discussing, well, what's going to be the next Basie? What's going to be as popular as anything that Yuga Labs has created and so forth. But Basie launched in a perfect storm and everything came together. That was literally like catching lightning in a bottle or picking up the right grain of sand out of all the sand that is on the planet. And I know that might sound pessimistic saying that there's not going to be another Basie. However, taking this whole NFT space out of the picture and discussions, let's just look at the value of brands. They created a multi-billion dollar brand within a year. That is pretty much unheard of. If you look at every other brand around the world that's worth multiples of millions, not even billions, those brands took decades in most cases to develop. So anyone looking at it and saying, well, anything that was before Basie or around the time of Basie, 
is going to hold that same value historically right now. Basie is doing all the development, but in the future, we're going to look back on that era and say, you know what? That was the Basie era. Therefore, it will have value. That is definitely not the case because as I said, Basie is such a unique situation that I wouldn't honestly compare anything to it, try to replicate it, try to position anything against it, saying that is how something else is going to be valued because there's just so many factors. There is just no value whatsoever in trying to say something is going to be valued based on its position, similarities, or likeness to Basie, and that is going to carry forward in the future. I often hear that, but it's completely reckless in my opinion. Just because I live on the island where Usain Bolt came from does not mean I'm going to be racking up gold medals at the Olympics anytime soon. Proximity to greatness does not necessarily make you great. I like to think that you are the average of the people that you spend the most time with, but when it comes to running nine second 100 meter dashes, well, I can spend all my living time with Usain Bolt. I don't think I'll be that much closer to breaking his record. And I know that analogy might seem kind of crazy. However, that is basically what people are saying about Basie and the proximity to it when it is launched and all that different stuff. So like to me, that's basically how that analogy sounds. Like when someone is saying that this is going to have value in the future because it was launched the same week as Basie, I'm like, okay, well, a lot of projects were launched that week. So what does that exactly mean? That is a terrible argument in my opinion. And I don't think it is one that should be used to explain why something is going to have historical value or not. And number eight, strong leadership is probably by far the most important thing as to whether these things are going to have value in the future or not. Because if you look at two properties that are very similar in nature, we're going to look at DC Comics and Marvel Comics. Well, DC had a 30-year head start before Marvel. Most of Marvel's characters were created by Stan Lee in the 60s. Superman and Batman and many of the characters from DC came out in the 30s. However, we can all see how that's going today. And to be honest, there are many Marvel characters that pretty much look like knockoffs of DC characters. Their origin stories, their superpowers, and a lot of other things are direct answers or copies, clones, whatever you want to say, of DC Universe. Even the Avengers. DC had the Justice League way before. Now these, these movies coming out, people are saying DC is trying to knock off Marvel, but that is actually not true. If you look through the comic book history, you can see that DC had that done way before they did. However, when it comes to executing it, bringing it to the world, creating movies and all those different things, a 30-year head start did not help them create a better franchise. And the first appearance in comics of many of those DC characters do not have the same resale value of Marvel characters that came out 30 years later. That is just a fact. Which brings us to number nine. I'm going to use that same superhero analogy and try to continue with that line of thought. It's just a market fit in general because something might have historical value. However, it might not have an audience or a group of people that are willing to really purchase it at a premium. So that really goes back to number six when I said that buyers are the ones that really create the value. But in the case of a market fit, what I'm going to do is use a comparison between Superman and Batman. Superman and Batman both came out in the 30s. They both have TV shows, cartoons, movies, and they're very similar in trajectory. However, despite Batman being my very favorite superhero of all time, Superman generates way more money than Batman ever does. And that's because Superman is a much more broad appeal. Superman has a 
clean, wholesome story and image that can go on lunchboxes for children. And these storylines are usually G-rated. It is completely different than Batman, who normally has very dark stories. This is a guy with a whole bunch of skeletons in his closet and just a whole bunch of issues. The characters and the villains are way darker. It is much more adult tone. And going in my 30s, going into my 40s, 50s, and 70s, I I think I'll still be a fan of Batman going forward. However, Superman finds most of its success in these lighthearted family type of movie settings. And that is why he always will have more value on the open market because there's just way more fans, more people that are willing to spend money on Superman than they are Batman fans. And it's not because Superman is a few years older than Batman. It's because he just fits the broader market much better than Batman does. And lastly, number 10, IP has to maintain its relevance. That is the only reason why a historical NFT is going to be worth anything in the future. Something might be on the top of the world right now, such as Basie. However, what if in five years some manuscript pops up and it is discovered that all of that, the idea for everything that they created was stolen? I'm just saying a hypothetical such I'm just saying a hypothetical situation. I don't want any apes blowing up my Twitter feed or anything of that nature. I'm not accusing them of anything, but what I am saying is we don't know what the future holds. So anything can happen to any of these IPs. We could find out that some crazy class action lawsuit or some civil suit or some copyright infringement took place. Like, who knows what could happen? And it could absolutely kill that NFT project. And you don't believe that could happen? Well, look what happened to the crypto chicks. Once it was discovered that the art was created by a young artist that ended up Googling a lot of image, which she drew from in order to create that artwork, well, the value of those things just went straight into the floor. And truthfully, the community and the project has never recovered from that. So it is very difficult to have things last a long time, be relevant, continue to build a bigger and bigger brand. So truthfully, as much as we like to say that we're experts in the space and we can pick out these historical NFTs, most of us are guessing. And the rest of us are willing to admit and say a lot of the things that are said about these quote unquote historical NFTs are a bunch of myths. So while you're browsing around and looking around to see, well, what should you quote unquote invest into for the future? If influencers are telling you buy a whole bunch of historical pieces, just ask them a bunch of questions because I would love to know how they define a historical NFT and what their bag looks like. And hey, if you want to listen to them, that is absolutely cool by me. However, no one can say that I pointed them in any direction and saying, hey, buy this. There are quite a few projects that I look at and say, you know what? I personally think the narrative of that story fit that time that we were in. And it's something that I personally value. But even with those projects, I would never stamp it as historically relevant and put my life savings into it as if I knew the future. But I'd love to know, what are your thoughts on all this? Do you have any quote unquote historical NFTs that you have in high regards? Did I make any points that you think are absolutely ridiculous and would like to counter? Please feel free to reach out to me at Tropic Vibes on Twitter or using the contact information in the show notes. But as usual, I just want to thank you for taking time to listen to this as we're learning and building Web3 together. So until next time, later. The Nifty Business Show is not investment advice. It provides insights and information within the space. As with anything, please do your own research before making a decision whether you're making an investment or a purchase.